professor at Olin College, and I study asteroids, I have a pretty cool job, and one of my favorite parts is getting to meet all the interesting people who spend their days exploring space. Each week, I'll introduce you to one of these smart folks and ask them to tell us about their corner of the cosmos. Today's guest is Dr. Gareth Williams, Secretary for the International Astronomical Union Working Group, Small Bodies Nomenclature. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, Carrie. <laughs> we are recording this on October 25th, 2023. I am drinking, this is something a listener asked me to try, it is called Liquid Death. I don't know if you've seen this, it's sparkling water straight from the Alps. The idea behind this water is it's reducing plastic pollution, but it's also porting water from the Alps, so I don't know if I'm quite understanding the environmental goals here. What are you going to be drinking? Well, unfortunately, it's like one o'clock here. We're doing this at one o'clock. And so I would normally say a nice cup of tea. Being English, that is the traditional thing one drinks. Unfortunately, it's not tea time. I do have some bitter shandy in the fridge. Bitter shandy is English lemonade with either a lager or a bitter in this case. I don't drink alcohol very much, and basically I only drink the bitter shandies. Unfortunately, I don't feel like a bitter shandy right now, so I'm just going with a Coke. A classic. <laughs> well, cheers. <laughs> Bottoms up. I want to see what this liquid death tastes like. It's just sparkling water. It's good. How's your Coke? <laughs> good. Good, normal Coke. My teeth are not going to be thanking me, but... At least it's reliable. <laughs> At least it's reliable, that, indeed. So today we're going to talk about the International Astronomical Union Working Group Small Bodies Nomenclature, which is also the IAUWGSBN. And Gareth and I are both members of the group, and we know what it does. But Gareth, I was wondering if you could tell the listeners what the group does. <laughs> yes. Well, the SBN, which is the shorthand for the shorthand WGSBN, short for the full name, which I'm not going to repeat is the responsible entity within the IEU for naming asteroids, comets, and natural satellites of minor planets. And in conjunction with the working group planetary system nomenclature, we also name dwarf planets. It's a 15-member working group, 11 of whom are the voting members. Carrie and I are both voting members on the committee. And there are four ex officio members who represent various entities. And what's the difference between one of these names that are approved by this committee and buying a star, star name for somebody's birthday? Well, the IEU has a nice little page on its websites talking about star naming companies, pointing out that they have no official standing whatsoever astronomers will not use them they are not used in popular articles you're just basically paying 50 dollars or whatever these companies charge for a nice piece of paper saying this 10th magnitude star in cepheus is now named fred bloggs jr the working group names that are approved and published in our bulletin which we publish every three weeks are official IAU names and are used in publications on, on websites such as the Minor Planet Center and uh, the JPL Horizons system. So that they are official as opposed to these fly-by-night companies which have no official standing whatsoever. Right, like if you go to a, an astronomical conference, astronomers will be using these names when they're talking about the asteroids. Yes, yes, and, and quite often, you know, a name is a more useful 
mnemonic for an object. So it makes it easier for astronomers to talk about specific objects in a way that keeps readers interested, I think. I like numbers, but I also like names, yes. So comets are generally named after the people who discover them, but asteroid names... Yeah, almost exclusively after the people that discover them. Asteroid names can be a lot of different things. Can you give us a couple examples of what asteroids can be named after? Asteroids can be named pretty much for anything, except politicians and people known for their military exploits, unless they've been dead for at least 100 years. And in the case of military people it's still hit or miss whether a name would be acceptable even a hundred years after they died. It's not an absolute after a hundred years, all politicians and all military officials are fair game for minor planets. No, there's still an approval process because we're running up on some hundredth anniversaries of deaths of people that we probably do not want to honour. But you can name them after sports, stars, musicians, singers, other scientists... You can name them after towns, other settlements. I named one after the town I grew up in, for example. I named one after relatives you can do. Discoverers have that special privilege of being able to name them after their relatives. So if you want to name one after your parents who were supportive of your desire to become an astronomer, you can do so. Artists of all sorts. We've had sculptors, painters, poets, or authors else have we had events that was very common in the early names so if there was some big scientific get together they might assign a name to that meeting observatories have their minor planets universities there have been names for animals plants spacecraft ships publications food drink even uh, whimsical names so we had kilopie for example 3141 is named Kilopi because 3.141 times a thousand is 3141. And so that was named Kilopi. Are we going to be seeing soon a similar name for minor planet 3,141,592? I don't know. We'll have to see. (laughs) It'd be interesting. Yeah, it'll be a little while before we get there. But, you know, we're over 600,000 at this point and... You know, we will have the Vera Rubin Observatory coming online in the next next year or so. And that that's potentially gonna give us millions more objects that will be numberable in the in the next decade. But of course there's no requirement that every single numbered minor planet has to have a name. If you look back, when I started at the Minor Planet Centre in nineteen ninety, we only had about forty five hundred numbered minor planets. And of those, something like 80, 85% or something had names, or some very large fraction. Now it's down around 2 or 3%. And since we're discovering so many asteroids now, I think just logistically this working group cannot possibly keep up with vetting and thinking no. through at the rate that we're discovering new objects. So the number of named asteroids will go as a smaller and smaller fraction as the total number. Be, yes, smaller and smaller percentage. Now you could do something like there's an automatic naming scheme for new elements where until they have been discovered they are given a sort of temporary name which is based on their number 
Something similar could be done for minor planets if we wanted to, but that would mean that a lot of the names would start with the same characters and it would be the same building blocks. And so I don't think people would like it if we went to an automatic naming system. So it would lose its charm. It does have a lot of charm. There's something I really like about looking at the history of asteroid names. Like, number one, you go through these, like, cultural phenomenon, right, where you have, like, singers or artists that were popular at a time. If you go back kind of to the beginning, they all had to be feminine names, which is kind of funny. So sometimes if you look at an asteroid name, you can kind of guess when it was discovered based on the name. And that also kind of corresponds to how big it is because the biggest ones were discovered first. So if it has like a weird Georgiana name, then usually I'm going to guess it's a pretty big main belt object, for example. Yes. The early names were primarily mythological. So Ceres was originally Ceres Ferdinandia, Ferdinandia being after the king of Sicily. Piazzi wanted to get into good stead with the with his king. Other astronomers around Europe were not keen to get into good with the king of Sicily, so the Ferdinandia got omitted, and so it just became Ceres. And then Pallas came along, and Juno and Vesta. So there were a lot of mythological names. And the first masculine name that was used as a masculine name was probably Eros, uh, 433 and 1898. Masculine names had been used before, but they had been feminized by adding either IA or A to the name. So it's not less than 433, but Mozart's minor planet is Mozartia. And that practice continued up into the sort of mid-1950s when Paul Hergert, who was the first director of the Minor Planet Centre when it was in Cincinnati, mentioned what they were doing to a, to a classicist and said, we were feminising the names by adding IA or A. And I was told that the classicist laughed at that and said, no, that's not how it works. And so it stopped. And I think there's only one case of that process being used for a name after about the mid-50s. So one question that people often ask is, what about near-Earth asteroids? So for example, I happen to know you named an asteroid after Enya. Why do we not have to worry about Enya hitting the Earth and wiping out some fraction of the population? Because Enya is a main belt asteroid. Objects that are in nearly circular orbits in the the main belt are almost certainly, and notice the qualification there, almost certainly never going to be a problem They're never going to get into an orbit that could approach the orbit of the Earth. I say almost certainly because perhaps if there's a collision and that knocks it into an orbit which is resonant with something, the resonance kicks it into an orbit that becomes more eccentric and then becomes Earth-crossing. That's very, very unlikely. So main belt asteroids for the most part are going to stay main belt asteroids at least over human time spans. Near-Earth asteroids are on planet-crossing orbits, and so their orbits are much less stable. They are much more prone to perturbation. And if their orbits approach closely to the orbit of the Earth, there is the possibility for those two orbits to intersect, or to come within one Earth radius of intersecting. And then if the Earth and the object happen to be at the same point at the same time, the object hits us. So we don't use personal names for those objects, because it would not be good if your minor planet, for example, that'd be very embarrassing. <laughs> yes, you wouldn't be very popular, <laughs> for one thing. 
Your students might not want to be go to your lectures. <laughs> That'd probably be the least of the worries, though, if that is the Earth. It's quite a large <laughs> asteroid. So near-Earth asteroids are named for mythological characters because the gods in mythology have interfered with humans forever. And so, you know, wiping us out is just another one of their foibles. If an asteroid is named, it also comes with a citation. Could you tell us what a citation is? And maybe do you have any favorite citations to share with us? Every naming of a minor planet is now accompanied by a short citation. Prior to 1947, there was no requirement that a name come with a citation. And so if you look in the old literature, you'll just see, I have assigned the name Anna to this minor planet. No explanation of who Anna was. Uh, If you're lucky, there might be a brief mention of who the person that the name is for is given. But in a lot of cases, it's not. When the Minor Planet Center started up and when names became official when they appeared in the Minor Planet Circulars, it was decided that a, a citation had to be given to explain why, the meaning of the name, why was this name being given. The rules on the length of the citation have changed over the years. In the early days, it was all capital letters, for example. It was printed via a process that did not have lowercase letters. The length of citations gradually increased until by the mid-80s, they were getting like almost half a page in their mind plant circulars. They were becoming short novels. So the decision was made to limit the length of citations. When they appeared in the mind plant circulars, the, pr- the limit was four printed lines. Now, since they are published in the WGSBM Bulletin, the limit is 360 characters. We feel that 360 is enough to give the gist of why you are naming it. These are not bios. You do not have to list every position held by a scientist or every little discovery they've made. Give us one of each. If they've won a Nobel Prize, don't mention anything else. <laughs> Do you have a favorite citation or a couple of citations that spring to mind? I can read one of mine because I happen to have it ready, which is 4441 Toshi, which is named in memory of Toshi Seki, the discoverer's mother, who encouraged her son to hunt for comets. She died on the day this minor planet was discovered. I love that citation. That's a nice one. It's so sad and yes. like lovely, and it's like two sentences. <laughs> I did one for both of my parents. My mother, Kay, my father, Roy. And notice there's a Y at the end of both names. So I reversed my father's name and combined them into a five-letter K-O. I did not tell my parents I was doing this. The name went out in the Minor Planet Circulars and I contacted the local paper in the hometown I grew up in. They ran it on their front page with the headline, Dear Mum and Dad, This is Your Asteroid. That's so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) And Mum mum says that she almost choked on her (laughs) cereal when she read that. That's really amazing. (laughs) So I I like doing that one. So I just learned, thanks to the Washington Post, that you named an asteroid after Vangelis, and something exciting happened afterwards. I was wondering if you could tell us that story. Yeah, that was a strange one. (laughs) 
we have to step back a bit from that and go a couple of years previously. When I first arrived at the Minor Planet Center, I realized that there weren't any asteroids named for contemporary musicians. I said, oh, well, let's try somebody who, if they won't accept these, there's no hope of getting anybody else. So the obvious choice for a first attempt was the members of the Beatles. And I knew that Brian Skiffert, Lowell Observatory, had four consecutively numbered minor planets that were unnamed, and I suggested to him that perhaps we could name them Lennon, McCartney, Harrison and Starr. And he said, oh yeah, I'm a big fan. So he proposed them to the committee. They were approved. And I thought, great. So in fairly quick succession, I named objects for Eric Clapton, Enya, uh, Jean-Michel Jarre, and my favourite musician is Vangelis. I've liked his mu- I liked his music since I was you know, knee high to a grasshopper, but I wanted to use a special object for that. And in 1996 or something, an object was discovered by Eric Elst, Belgian astronomer observing at ESO, which I linked to an object seen by Eugene Delport in 1934 at Uckel. Delport was dead by that point, so that was my name. So I said, okay, this is a highly inclined object, so I use the name Vangelis for this. I don't know how they heard about it, but I think it was Rolling Stone contacted me and said, we understand some asteroids have been named for contemporary musicians. Can you tell us about it? So I told them all about it, and uh, there was an article. And uh, one of Vangelis's people being a major star, he has people, was in Heathrow Airport, and he picked up Rolling Stone and was reading through it and saw this article. And he goes, I don't know anything about this. When he got back to Greece, he asked Vangelis, do you know anything about this? And Vangelis said, no, I do not. And he did say it in English because he's fluent in English, French, and Greek. And he said, find me this person. And so I'm in my office... And I get this phone call. <laughs> Hello? And there's a woman on the line, and she goes, Is this Gareth Williams? I go, Yes. Hi, my name's Cherry Vanilla. And I knew that name because I knew that Cherry was Vangelis's North American representative. Don't ask me how <laughs> I knew that. I just, I just knew that. And I go, Oh. And she goes, I work with Vangelis. And I go, yes, I know. <laughs> he saw, saw that article in Rolling Stone. I go, oh, is he pleased? Oh, yeah, he loves it. He'd like to know more about it. And I said, oh, well, I can, you know, pull some information together um, about it, uh, package it up, send it to you, and you can forward it to him. Oh, no, he wants to meet you. Now, understand that to me... Meeting Vangelis is like, what's the equivalent? It's like somebody who's Catholic meeting the Pope. (laughs) I can't really think of who's who's, who's the most famous actor in the world. I don't even know. I can't. I I don't even know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, But but meeting somebody that you would drop everything to, to meet. And they say never meet your idols. But I thought, screw that. I'm meeting him. So she said, he wants to meet you in Athens. I said, oh, I've always wanted to see Greece. 
I don't know whether I can get out there. Oh, no, no, he'll arrange everything. So I went down to Brian Marsden's office, who was the director at the time. <laughs> at this point, I, had, I hadn't had a day off in, I think, three and a half years. <laughs> this is before I was dating she who became my wife. So I had, I had no life at that point. <laughs> so I went into Brian's office and said, I've been invited to Greece for two weeks. In two weeks. Is this going to be a problem? No, go, go. <laughs> so I went to Greece was met at the airport by Cherry, who took me to the hotel. And that evening, Cherry and I were going to a restaurant to meet Vangelis for the first time. And so we arrived there first, and we said we're with Vangelis. And the maitre d' showed us to the, the table. And it was quite, it was a big round table, so there were going to be a, quite a few people there. And uh, Were you nervous? A little bit. Not at meeting Vangelis, but meeting everybody else, you know. I'd have to remember, you know, half a dozen names or something, you know. Vangelis is easy. <laughs> everybody else, you know. So we, we hadn't been there long, and then Vangelis shows up, and I stand to, to, to greet him, and he comes across and goes, Professor! And I go, Maestro! <laughs> now, I've never been a professor. <laughs> I've never had any responsibility for teaching students, so I wasn't going to correct him, but... <laughs> If he greets me with Professor, I'm going to greet him with Maestro. Anyway, we, we had a very nice meal, chatting. He was very smart. He was interested in science. And so over the next two weeks, I met Vangelis multiple times. And then one evening we went over to Vangelis's house. I'm not going to say where it was. <laughs> and was shown up to the upstairs. And as I'm coming up, going up the stairs, I hear this music. I'm going, what is that music? I don't recognise it. We go into the top floor, and it's his recording studio. And he's sitting there playing something on keyboard. Now, he's playing a single keyboard. It sounds like there's a whole orchestra in there. He's not playing to a backing track. He is controlling other keyboards with foot pedals that he's got underneath the desk. And he's playing along, and he makes a mistake. Oh, drat, he goes and plays it again, makes a mistake again. Hmm. Finally, he gets it right. And with that done, he gets up and comes across and says hello to me. And I go, it's nice to know you're human, referring to making the mistakes. But, but that was just being in the room as he's recording something, something that no one else had heard. It was incredible. It was not done with the intention of expecting anything but the fact that it led to my first vacation in three and a half years was <laughs> was nice shall we say that's an incredible story it's it's pretty funny because i do think many people who get asteroids named after them don't even know about it and so it's yeah that's amazing that like this happened yeah, that's because in a lot of cases you know if you do it for a celebrity you don't know how to contact that's that, right that well, thank you so very much, Dr. Williams, for being on the show. And now that we've heard all about asteroid names, we get to hear a fun fact about Gareth. When we were living in Arlington, we got two memberships to the Arlington Friends of the Drama Community Theatre in Arlington, Mass. And we went along, and the first one, I didn't enjoy the play. I didn't enjoy the, the, the subject matter. But it was very well done, and so we went back, and I enjoyed the second one a lot more. And so we just went along for about a year and a half and we decided that we wanted to get involved. It's a community theatre. 
And I said, well, I'm not going to go on stage. I haven't been on stage in, at that point, about 30 years, since I was in primary school, when I was on stage one time, hated it, and decided, I'm going to work backstage. So I became the prompter for the next show. And I said, oh, I'm interested in set building. So I, I started building and got very into it and uh, went onto the board a couple of times, as did my wife. And so we did various things. And I, I did appear on stage once. An actor was late. He was an actual medical doctor. He, his, his operation ran late. And so I, I was going to have to stand in for him. And I was in the, the costume. He had some lines, which was the worst part. So I had to learn those lines. Fortunately, he turned up about five minutes before I had to go on. So he, he did it. So I, I didn't quite say a line <laughs> on stage. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And thanks for telling us about uh, how asteroids are named. I really appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Gary. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Intro music is from The Return by Deltron3030. Huge thanks to Deltron3030 for letting me use it. The beeps you just heard are from the very first space probe, Sputnik. You can visit us at listentospacepod.com. The views expressed here do not reflect the views of my employer or the employer of my guest. Thanks for listening.